0: Welcome back into the Bama Online Podcast, this one on a Monday, midday Monday, December the 27th, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you here on the program. We got a lot to get into, as you might expect. It is college football playoff week. You got the Alabama Crimson Tide out in the Dallas area. Prepping for the Bearcats of Cincinnati. That game's set, of course, for New Year's Eve coming up on Friday. The mid-afternoon affair between the Bearcats and the Crimson Tide. 2.30-ish kickoff from Jerry World out in Arlington, Texas. That game will air on ESPN. We'll have a lot of Alabama-Cincinnati talk on the show today. We'll get into some Alabama men's basketball bounce-back mode. Nate Oates's team as it comes off its latest loss, this one to Davidson midweek last week heading into the Christmas break. The Alabama Crimson Tide opens SEC play on Wednesday night at Coleman Coliseum. A late tip-off, 8 p.m. That game will air on ESPN2. We'll get into some Alabama basketball talk as well. Just a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff on the Bama Online Podcast to get your week going. First and foremost, hope you had a great Christmas holiday. Uh, We talked on the last podcast how there's sort of a procedural approach for a lot of us to the Christmas holiday. For us at Casa de Rire, it started on Christmas Eve. I'm a divorced kid. I don't know about you. I'm a divorced kid. Many years removed from a divorce involving the rents. You got to go back almost 50 years. Parents have been divorced almost 50 years now. And by the way, on this very day, December the 27th, I turned 53. So it is sort of a birthday podcast for me as well. I'm not a big celebrate me birthday guy. I'm not birthday week guy. I'm not birthday month guy. I think one of the greatest things about having kids is that with those young people coming into your life, your birthday, in terms of how is it it's acknowledged and recognized, that sort of evaporates. And so while I appreciate all the birthday wishes, I truly do. I'm grateful for them. I appreciate even more that our youngest turns 20 next week. So her birthday is right after mine, which totally overshadows it. It's like I didn't even have one, but I did. I, I turned 53 on this Monday. But the Christmas Eve event at Casa de Ryer nice little brunch nice little brunch did uh mom came over older brother came over uh nephews great niece all those things a lot of fun it went well and then on Christmas day we go over to pops's house my dad's house uh and check in with that side of the family you know it was really not all that bad growing up I mean being a divorced kid it not the best thing in the world, all right? And I'm not trying to turn this into sort of like a Dr. Phil program here. I'm not, I'm not looking for counseling or anything. But back in the day, you know, we would have the Christmas at Mom's uh, get up at 4.30 in the morning, of course, after Santa did his thing. And then we would go over to Pops' so we would get double Santa. That was one of the silver linings of being divorced kid. We did get double Santa. We did get double everything on Christmas Day. Now, kind of the, I don't know, the price you continue to pay, I don't know about other folks out there who are divorced kids as adults. But there's still that level of discomfort, you know, 50 years later. You get mom and dad together, and there's still this discomfort that's in play. What in the world? Why does it have to be that way? But it's there. Everybody can act like everything's fine, but it's not. So here you are at 53, and you're still doing split Christmases. But that's, that's kind of the way it goes. And so on on uh, Christmas Day at Pops' uh, it was a good get-together. And uh, one of the real highlights of Christmas Day at Pops was uh, scratch-off tickets. That's right. They had those things in Florida. You know, Alabama still no lottery. That's another podcast for another time. But uh, the stepmother produced scratch-off tickets for everybody. Everybody got scratch-off tickets. So, and we talked on the podcast last week about it being very much gift card heavy Christmas these days as far as the gifting goes. Well, we do scratch-off tickets uh, in the Ryer family. And look. The one niece hit her scratch off. One of her scratch off, she hit for a thousand bucks. Another niece hit for five hundred bucks. You know how much I hit for? I hit for fifteen dollars, and I'm not complaining. Look, I'm fifteen dollars heavier than I went over there with. But the niece is sixteen years old. Both of the nieces are sixteen year olds, and they hit for a combined fifteen hundred. They're not even old enough to cash their tickets. I told them. I told both of them that I would be willing, or I'm going to let them know, that I'm willing to cash those tickets for just a small fee, a processing fee, like 10%. Just 10% of that $1,500. I'll get that, uh, I'll get that cash for you. But it was a lot of fun. Everything went well. Also, I've managed to squeeze in a quick trip out west to check in with the oldest daughter, the grad assistant women's basketball coach at the University of Nevada. Speaking of gambling... Spent a little time in the sports book. Did okay on the NFL Sunday, 4-1 on the bets. Now, I didn't go big on any of the games, just 20 bucks here or there. But uh, uh, the wife actually went big on the second half of the Jets and Jags. She took the Jets minus the 2.5 in the second half. She put a C-note down on it. Might have a problem with her. Might need to get her that helpline info. Uh, she might be... Uh, she might be... Uh, You know, a little bit uh, overly aggressive with some of the bets. But caught up with the older daughter, got all the kids together. That was the mission that we do each and every year with our immediate family. A lot of times it requires what I refer to as neutral site Christmases. We have to travel to places to get all the kids together. You know, a year ago it was Chicago. A couple of years ago it was Salt Lake City of all places. Uh, This year it was Reno, Nevada, which has, by the way, gotten absolutely dumped on with the white stuff. So that unseasonably warm weather that we've enjoyed in the southeast through the fall and into the early stages of winter, not so much out west. They're getting the legit winter effects here in late December. So it's been a good run of the holidays. I've updated you on that again. I hope you've had a good stretch, a great stretch here. I know it can be a tough time of the year for folks, and you certainly have compassion, and you know your thoughts are with those people. Uh, just try to get through it as best you can, and a lot of football to try to help us all out here. Although COVID wrecking havoc on some of the bowl games, including Texas A&M, which was supposed to make that trip to Jacksonville, Florida, to take on the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest. Do you think? Do you think a Texas A&M? had met preseason expectations by a lot of folks and made the college football playoff, do you think the Aggies would be available for postseason play? Yeah, I do too. Now, look, totally different series of events if you start thinking about the Gator Bowl versus the college football playoff. You're not going to have guys opting out like Isaiah Spiller for a college football playoff. Uh, Your quarterback situation is obviously going to be a good bit more stable. Uh, than what you're seeing right now, although I like the Max Johnson pickup for Jimbo Fisher for 2022. Uh, but the Aggies, not probably not the worst thing is all I'm saying for Texas A&M not to go to Jacksonville to take on a really solid Wake Forest team that is going to be excited, A, to be there, and B, are right there with A, 1A and 1B, going to be looking to cap the season with a win much more so than a Texas A&M team that, regardless of who the head coach is out in College Station, it seems like whether it was Kevin Sumlin, whether it's Jimbo Fisher, last season accepted, I guess, and maybe going back to 2012 accepted, uh, just not a team that once you get beyond October exactly slams the door on the competition. So, hey, there you go. There's your update for the holiday season. Certainly want to get into some Alabama football talk, as we noted earlier in the podcast. Cotton Bowl prep. Alabama arrived in the Dallas area, as you know, on Sunday. No Bill O'Brien. No Doug Marone. So the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and the offensive line coach due to COVID, not able to travel with the team party out to Dallas. Nick Saban upon arrival on Sunday said that Joe Pendry, a.k.a. the Godfather, the consigliere, I guess is a better way of describing Joe Pendry, because Nick Saban is right. He's the, he's the Godfather, right? Well, Joe Pendry would be Tom Hayden uh, in that scenario. Tom Hagen, excuse me, the consigliere. Uh, would be Joe Pendry. And so stepping in for Doug Marone, it's a little different with O'Brien because of the quarterback duties to go along with the OC. Now Pendry also has experience as an offensive coordinator. You've got a guy that's been around for a few years now in wide receivers coach Holman Wiggins. And a guy that you could hear more about being involved uh, in relation to the offensive coordinator and quarterback situation um similar to Josh Gaddis a few years back in some of these openings that we're going to see either this postseason or in coming off seasons would be Holman Wiggins. Alex Mortensen is another guy, longtime support staffer for Alabama on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, Alex, the son of Chris Mortenson. Mort, as he's known, the ESPN NFL insider. So some guys probably having to step up in addition to Joe Pendry. And as far as matchups for this game go, And we talked about some of those uh, last week on the podcast. And another one that we'll throw in there will involve Alabama's offensive line against the Cincinnati defensive line, not only very productive, but also uh, in terms of experience. Very experienced group for Cincinnati up front. You're going to have offensive tackles, Evan Neal, and an anticipated right tackle starter in Chris Owens taking on a rotation of Cincinnati defensive ends and they'll do some different things. They run that 3-3-5 defense and it gives them flexibility and the different looks they present. They'll go with some four down, straight up four defensive linemen. So don't be don't be caught up in the three down talk. They will Cincinnati will go with some four down when Alabama puts some 12 personnel out there with one back and two tight ends, but Myjay Sanders, six five, two hundred and fifty five pounds, senior, really good player. Jawan Briggs on the other end, more of a strong, strong side defensive end at six two, three hundred and fifteen pounds. But um, you know, Sanders is a two time All AAC selection, uh, twenty five tackles for loss over the last three seasons. And then again, at the other end position, you are going to have some different guys. You are going to have, you are going to have Briggs. Uh, who has been the starter of late? But senior Malik Van is also a guy that's seen a lot of starting action for the Bearcats at that spot. Between them, Briggs and Van, a combined 12.5 tackles for loss and 6.5 sacks this season. Jabari Taylor, another reserve that you'll see in the mix on Friday for UC. He is a guy that has appeared in 37 games over the last three seasons. Not really a pass rush guy. Jabari Taylor, but at six foot one, two hundred and eighty pounds, when Alabama's in that twelve personnel and Cincinnati maybe answers with some four down, Jabari Taylor is a guy to keep an eye on. And I'll give you one more matchup for this Alabama offensive line going against this Cincinnati defensive front and really a guy that needs to be highlighted for Cincinnati is Curtis Brooks plays right there on the football a lot of times 50 tackles for loss this season for Brooks he has team highs and tackles for loss with 12 and a half and sacks with seven and a half he's another one of these six year seniors that UC has a lot of super seniors for Cincinnati and you know that sort of grown manned aspect to this Cincinnati team has allowed it to big boy a lot of the competition it has faced in 2021 and so some predictions for Alabama Cincinnati that you'll read more about in the coming days at BamaOnline.com. I think a big part of the Alabama defensive success will be based upon pass attempts for Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter. We talked about this in advance of the Georgia game for Alabama with Stetson Bennett, getting him up into at least the 30s. And then if you get him to 48 like Alabama did in Atlanta, chances are you're going to like the Alabama uh, outcome, the outcome from the Alabama perspective, and it played out that way. Now, you look at Ritter – This is a guy who's attempted 40-plus passes just once in his career, and that was way back in 2018 when he threw it 50 times against SMU. So not a guy who, based on Cincinnati's offense, very balanced, kind of like Georgia. Different way of going about it because Ritter will be more involved in sort of design quarterback runs than, say, Stetson Bennett is for Georgia. But early downs against Ritter and running back Jerome Ford, the former Alabama running back, Jerome Ford, going to be big in this game because if you can get Cincinnati into more second and third and longs, you got a better chance of turning Ritter more into an every-down passer, and that's something he hasn't had to do very much in his four years behind center for the Bearcats. Not that he isn't a capable passer, but when you look at the efficiency for the Cincinnati offense, a lot of times if Ritter is up over 10 yards per pass attempt, he's also under – 30 pass attempts for the game. And that means Cincinnati is getting done on the ground what it wants to do. I think for Alabama offensively, uh, you're going to look at Bryce Young from a total touchdown accountability standpoint, something to keep an eye on. He di- He's done it in six games this year. When you look at four or more touchdowns accounted for, did it most recently, of course, against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, Cincinnati against the past is statistically, and really defensively statistically, uh, one of the very best units in FBS. And you've got those two corners for Cincinnati that we talked about a little bit last week and Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner uh, that can make it tough for you on the outside. That's going to be a marquee matchup when you look at the upcoming NFL draft and you consider – Bryant and Gardner at corner for Cincinnati, and then, of course, Jamison Williams for Alabama. And for Alabama, obviously, you're wondering who's going to step up in place of John Mechie. Is it going to be one guy? Is it going to be Ja'Cory Brooks? Is it going to be a combination of guys, Ja'Cory Brooks, Treshawn Holden, maybe another younger receiver or two? Is it going to be more involved and more attached to schematic Uh, Things that Alabama tries to do, maybe more two tight end sets. Um, You know, there's a lot of different things, a lot of different dynamics that are going to come into play here uh, when you talk about those matchups with the Alabama offense and the Cincinnati defense, especially where the passing game is concerned. And, again, especially where Bryce Young and his ability, as we saw against Georgia – to also get into the end zone with his legs. Hasn't done it a ton this season, but he's certainly done it more over the second half of the campaign. So touchdown accountability for Bryce Young is something I'll be keeping an eye on Friday afternoon. Tight ends for both teams, I think, similar to the Georgia game. I know I'm drawing a lot of comparisons to Alabama-Georgia, but I think how Cincinnati in some ways goes about its business on offense is similar. Now look, Cincinnati doesn't have a Brock Bauer, so you don't have to concern yourself uh, with that. But, in Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor, they do have two guys that have combined for 10 touchdown catches this season. So, that's what you need to anticipate. Cincinnati is really a by-committee sort of passing attack. Now, they have one guy north of, I think, 700 yards receiving, but then you've got six or seven guys that are in that mix, seven receivers with 200 yards or more for uh, for Cincinnati. Tyler Scott's the only guy with more than 475. So they spread the ball around. Uh, the tight ends are a big part of that. You're thinking from the Alabama perspective with John Metchie out, this would be a great spot for Kamla too and or Jalil Billingsley to have some big games uh, in Dallas. So uh, those are a couple of the ways that you could look at this for the tight ends for both teams. Alabama safeties, I think, give you some give you some reason for optimism if you're an Alabama fan with the way DeMarco Hellum's and Jordan Battle performed their last time out in that win over Georgia. And then also from a sub-package perspective, it'll be interesting to see how much Cincinnati goes with 12 personnel compared to 11, which, of course, brings Brian Branch into play uh, at the star position for Alabama. Just, again, how these teams in terms of personnel groupings and packages and... Uh, those type of things, go about things Friday, will be a, an interesting aspect of this game. I think, um, I think the two defenses will combine for no fewer than a lot of tackles for loss I'm anticipating in this game. If you've watched Cincinnati, this is an aggressive defense. They get up the field. Linebackers are very much downhill. Um, Alabama is uh, tied for fourth nationally. In among FBS programs and tackles for loss at 8.15 per game. You got Cincinnati also in the top 10 in tackles for loss among FBS clubs. Ninth, as it is, 7.31 TFLs per game for the Bearcats. And Cincinnati offensively has done a good job of keeping opposing tackles for loss to a minimum. Just 3.46 tackles for loss per game allowed by the Bearcats. And if you want to talk about, well, what about Notre Dame? What about an opponent like that? Notre Dame in the loss to Cincinnati early in the season, just two tackles for loss and one sack. Now, Alabama offensively, as we know, and some of this is, is, uh, is, 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 is jacked up, for lack of a better way of putting it, by the Auburn game. And really a couple other games, too. Alabama struggled with some tackles for loss allowed. And Alabama right now 114th in FBS, allowing 89 tackles for loss in 13 games. And, again, the Auburn game was an absolute debacle, especially the first half. Much better against Georgia. Georgia with uh, zero sacks, as we know, in that game in Atlanta. In terms of sacks, speaking of sacks, Alabama with 46 sacks on the season. Uh, Cincinnati... With 37, Will Anderson, such a big part of that for Alabama, you know. And we talked about the interior presence that Cincinnati has uh, on that defensive line, where playmaking is concerned. Darian Beavers is another guy uh, to keep an eye on for Cincinnati in this game at the weak side linebacker position, because they'll use him in some different ways that sort of free him up to make plays as well. So, again, some different things to look for. I'll have a prediction on the game later in the week. I will say I think the numbers in Vegas sort of line up with what I'm thinking. I just still have real trust issues with this Alabama team, and as crazy as it sounds, more so with the the offense. Because Cincinnati, the style of play that the Bearcats employ – um, again, some of the stretches that we've seen from the Alabama offensive line, uh, you're not real crazy about the situation involving Marone and O'Brien here as you head into Dallas. Uh, so that gives you some reason for concern. And just again, the overall quality of the Cincinnati defense, starting with those two corners on the outside, um, you know, it, it can it can cause some issues for an Alabama offense. Uh, going without John Mechie on Friday. So there you go. Some more in-depth looks at this Alabama-Cincinnati game coming up in the Goodyear, in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. So there you go. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We'll get into some Alabama men's basketball as the Crimson Tide prepares for Tennessee on Wednesday night at Coleman Coliseum. That and more right after this. All right, I've told you many, many times here on the podcast about the great folks there at Homefield Apparel. And man, the holiday season really bared that out. So many folks I know turned to Homefield Apparel for their team gear. Alabama fans, so many cool looks, so many great designs, and more than anything, quality, quality clothing. That they use there at Homefield Apparel. And you can still get that 15% off at Homefield Apparel if you haven't made your first purchase yet at homefieldapparel.com. Go there right now. Check out all the great looks, all the great designs, the tremendously comfortable apparel also there at Homefield. And you're going to get that 15% off that initial purchase by inputting BAMA247, the checkout code BAMA247. 247 on that first purchase at homefieldapparel.com, you're going to get that 15% off. Check them out now. Look, it might be a little late for the college football playoff. Still got basketball season. You're around, you need your Alabama gear. And there's none better, nowhere better to get it than homefieldapparel.com. Back with more of a Monday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst, here with you. We've been talking a good bit about Alabama football here in the previous segment. We're going to shift gears a little bit and get into Alabama's SEC men's home basketball opener against the Tennessee Vols set for Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Central tip. ESPN 2 is going to air the basketball game. Alabama, of course, losers of two of their last three games, including that one-point defeat to Davidson in Birmingham last week. Some things that are going to be important. In this matchup. By the way, Tennessee with a very impressive showing over then sixth ranked Arizona heading into the Christmas break at Thompson Bowling Arena, able to get a top 10 win under their belt as they head into SEC play. And look, there's never a time when point guard play isn't important, but it's going to have some five star luster to it on Wednesday night. And we're anticipating everybody being available. At the time of this podcast, I need to go ahead and note that because we've seen this outbreak of COVID in both college football and in college basketball. You wake up Monday morning in your most trusted outlets, including BamaOnline.com, although we've been able to be pretty much quiet on that front, knock on wood. Let me do this. You hear that? All right. At least three times. Uh, cancellations, postponements are out college basketball so we're gonna give you this working on the assumption anyway that availability isn't going to be an issue for either team Wednesday night but at the point guard position Tennessee with a five-star freshman of its own and Kennedy Chandler Alabama of course with a five star and JD Davidson uh, both those guys were top three point guard prospects for the 2021 recruiting cycle according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings. And, oh, by the way, you're also going to have Javon Quinterly on the ball for Alabama. And so, you know, it was Chandler in that aforementioned win over Arizona that really helped set the tone early, both with his defense, had a steal in a bucket early in that game, and then he also was able to get into the paint and tee up a lob for Tennessee post Olivier Comois. Uh, and then he had the steal for the layup, and it's 6 nothing Tennessee, and you know, it was pretty much Tennessee wire-to-wire. Arizona got it tight and had some chances there in the second half but wasn't able to get over the hump. And from the Alabama perspective here, you got Quinterly. He's in bounce-back mode after seeing a chance to send that Davidson game to overtime uh, last week at the free-throw line. And sort of lost in that finish was the fact Quinterly was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't great, but you know, he had six assists in the game to go along with 13 points. Uh, and in a couple games against Tennessee last year, Quinterly was quite good. Yeah. 31 points uh, in those wins over UT last season, eight assists in those games. Uh, as for J.D. Davison, four points, four rebounds, four assists, and 19 minutes against Davidson last week you know he owns davison does both of alabama's double digit assist games on the season he had 10 apiece in games against miami and memphis also hey, look this is sort of some new era basketball with all the focus on the point guard position and you know, Davison and Chandler and Quinterly. But if you're sort of a retro guy or gal when it comes to post play, this might be a game for you as well. You've got Charles Bediaco from the Alabama perspective, the seven-footer. And then you've got the Tennessee duo of Kamwa and John Fulkerson. And in those three guys, you're talking about a trio of the SEC's top ten shot blockers that you will have for you there on Wednesday. Well, look, this is assuming – that one, two, and or three of those guys can stay out of foul trouble because we know how that can go. The concern for Alabama with Betty Occo, Jawan Gary, Noah Gurley, probably more on the mass when dealing with uh Kamwa at 232 pounds there. Uh And then you've also got another one of these super seniors. I mean, John Fulkerson, how long has he been at Tennessee? You know, I, I'm pretty sure he was there with the – uh right at the end of the Ernie and Bernie show, you know, back in the mid to late 70s. That's how long John Fulkerson's been there. And he was great against Arizona last week, 24 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, And he is sort of – he was at some point – at one point it was more of a cult status that he had with the fan base. But, no, he has graduated to all-timer among Tennessee fans. Uh, When you talk about uh, beloved Tennessee Vols, John Fulkerson right there – among those at the top of the list. And if you're Alabama, look, Eves-Pons was no treat when you were trying to get to the rim the last couple of years. In fact, in a couple of those games, those two games last season, Pons had seven block shots. I think this game is going to be similar to games we've seen in the recent history of this series with these two teams. 70 points might be the magic number for the winner. You know, the two games last year that Alabama won, Alabama scored 73 and 71. In fact, in four of the last five meetings between these teams, um, the the winner has scored in that 71 to mid-70s range. And, you know, keeping Tennessee intact and and under that number, of course, will require a more efficient performance on the defensive end than what Alabama put forth its last time out when – Davidson had 22 assists and just 11 turnovers in that win over the Crimson side. There are certainly differences, though, in how Davidson attacks you offensively and how Tennessee goes about what it does. And I think, really, in terms of familiarity, Alabama should be more comfortable with the defensive plan for Tennessee than it was on short preparation for Davidson last week. And I think as much as anything else, you're talking about a check – of Alabama's toughness at this point. Losers are two of three heading into SEC play. We talked about it on the podcast last week. There are certainly some similarities in terms to how Alabama sort of stumbled into SEC play a year ago and how it's entering SEC play this season. Still 9-3, and not a bad run through non-conference play. You just didn't like the finish to the lead-up of SEC play. But mental and physical toughness, both – in terms of taking care of the basketball but also how Alabama is able to hang in in the post in that matchup that we talked about a little bit earlier that's something you're gonna find out Wednesday night as well hey you know what else you've got coming up? you've got the uh, you've got the high school all-star games you got some Alabama representation in those games too right uh, when you look at the all-American bowl, And then you're going to have the Under Armour game. And Hank South and our staff obviously do a great job for us there at BamaOnline.com, keeping you up to date on the Crimson Tide signees that will participate in the All-American Bowl and the Under Armour game. The All-American Bowl uh, will take place on January the 2nd, as Hank South has us updated there at BamaOnline.com. In the All-American Bowl on January the 8th, You've got Ty Simpson set to go, the five-star quarterback, who took part in on-campus practices for the college football playoff. Isaiah Bond, the four-star athlete who projects as a wide receiver at Alabama, is going to be in San Antonio. Curtis Perry, the four-star playmaker at defensive end, uh, also going to be in that game. Earl Little Jr. at the cornerback position. And Elijah Pritchett, guy I'm going to be very interested to watch. Looks like a natural offensive tackle in Elijah Pritchett. Got some polishing to do. How will he hold up against some of the best competition at the high school level? We'll see that. And then before that, of course, you're going to have the Under Armour All-American game. A lot of Alabama signee representation in that one as well, including a couple of five-stars, in-state five-stars, Jeremiah Alexander, the five-star edge defender from Thompson, Emmanuel Henderson, the five-star athlete slash running back from Hartford, Alabama. Then you get into four stars that will also be in that Under Armour game. Sean Murphy at the linebacker position, Shaz Preston and Aaron Anderson, a couple of Louisiana natives at the wide receiver position, a couple guys with some varying skill sets that project nicely to the next level. And then big guys, I'm talking big guys, and Tyler Booker, the four-star offensive tackle from IMG, and Jaheem Otis, the massive Nose Tackle from Columbia, Mississippi. Those are the guys that will take place in the Under Armour game. So coverage of all that, coverage of the college football playoff. We've got, you know, in the next day or so. Actually, this is Monday. Later today you're going to hear from Pete Golding in an assortment of Alabama defensive players. Everything's virtual, unfortunately. I mean, it's kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, Virtually, you'll hear from Pete, you'll hear from – Will Anderson and others later on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Bill O'Brien still showing up as scheduled to appear. Uh, Of course, still in COVID protocols, the Alabama offensive coordinator. And then you'll have Bryce Young, Jamison Williams, and others on the offensive side of the ball set for Tuesday. So we'll have you covered throughout the week. We'll have men's basketball coverage uh, with Tennessee in town Wednesday night. Plenty of stuff for you at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, you need to go ahead and join us on the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere, the Roundtable. We'd love to hang out with you there. And if you haven't subscribed already to the Bama Online podcast, we would appreciate you doing that as well. Simple as a click or two. And you know what? If you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're doing it, that would be tremendously appreciated as well. Travis Ryer once again hoping you've had a great Christmas holiday springing headlong into 2022. Come on, let's shake all this stuff, man. I know you're just as ready as I am to be free and clear of this stuff, all of this stuff, man. I just want to get going. I just want to get going and know I'm going and I'm going to keep going. And I hope that's the same for each and every one of you. As well. Until next time, keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us. So long, everybody. CBS Friday.